What is up? And welcome back to another episode of the Four Eight Men Podcast, where I am interviewing all of my best friends. And today I got one of my good friends here in Louisiana, Reeves Walker, who is one of my best friends over the past couple of years. And Reeves is a newlywed. He is the uh, lead singer of Elo Worship, and he's a rental director at Camp Choka here in town, which has been, uh, how long has Camp Choka been a thing for? 1967. 1967. And Sadie's, was it great? Grandpa started it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been it's been throughout the family for several generations, and Reeves is kind of running it out there now with all of his uh, special skills and abilities. So Reeves, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Man, well... You know, I'll, I'll kind of sh- spare the details of how we met. Um, it's kind of, of an unrelatable and just interesting uh, experience. But when we really got close, it was on a beach trip with uh, Sadie's family. Or was it on the ski- was it was it on the ski trip? You said you said beach trip. I thought it might have been the ski trip. No, your brother was on the ski trip. Yeah. That was not you. That was not you. No offense. Yeah. That, that was that was good. <laughs> that was good. No, I couldn't go on that one. You couldn't go on that one. But no, we, we we met at the beach and got really close, and we both have similar stories. Um, both super wild in college. Uh, both got saved, and uh, you know now just trying to be good husbands and do as much we can do for the Lord. But um, I really want to start with uh, you know, as I mentioned, you're newlywed. You got married back in December, and uh, you know when you and Lydia first started dating. Um, She's a little taller than you, and I remember that you really wanted to start working out, and you you started going to the gym a lot more. So, what was your motivation there besides just getting in shape? Because you, uh, you know, you started dating the love of your life, which we'll get a little bit more into that in a little bit. Uh, and but were you able to sustain that? Because I do know, you know, when you first started out, you went pretty hardcore, and you kind of dipped off for a little bit. So, kind of kind of tell the story of, you know, you getting into fitness more so when you started dating your wife. Now, yeah. So not to take like a dark turn right off the bat, but kind of am. Uh, I actually went through together. a super dark season of depression, and I got some. I got some like secular counseling at first, and I also got counseling at the church. And I started to learn more about like what physical fitness does to your mental health. Yeah, and so it doesn't matter what it is, like just being active, and and most of the time working at camp. Like during the day, like I, I can stay pretty active, but it's just like having that extra thing every day or just however often I was able to go, um, I really started noticing how much that made me just way more healthier from a mental standpoint. And so um, that was just a part of my journey of combating that season of just depression. It was, it was a really dark time. And so yeah, I was trying to find just a good rhythm of my time with God and um, pushing away anxious thoughts and uh, definitely some spiritual warfare. So that was definitely one of the remedies. But also there was some insecurity probably. Yeah. Just Lydia was taller than me. She's taller than me. As everyone knows. She's still, uh, she'll always be taller than a, me. <laughs> yeah. Unless shrinking, but <laughs> probably didn't happen until you're old. Unless she shrinks and uh, you have a random midlife growth spurt. She'd no, be taller yeah. than you. <laughs> I definitely, I probably had a little bit of insecurity, but not much. I've, I mean, it hasn't really bothered me. I definitely had thoughts like, and she's taller than me, and it's obvious. But and I knew that she, and she talks about it now. Um, but she had talked about how she was a little bit insecure about me being shorter, and she was like really wrestling with that. And really, Sadie helped her, yeah. coached her through a lot of that. She was, hey, we like, both did. I, I remember that. We, we we both prayed over her that shout she out would, to Sadie that she would not that she would not <laughs> see the height differential as a uh, as an obstacle. Yeah. 
in y'all's marriage. Well, I want to talk about this because you're the only person that I've ever known that's played lacrosse competitively. And any time we ever talk about like, you know, what sport requires the most athletic ability, you always throw lacrosse in there, which is funny because uh, I disagree. Um, <laughs> and I honestly know nothing about lacrosse, but I know that you played uh, it competitively. So, you know, what what kind of training? Because I, mean, I, I know what kind of training goes in goes into basketball and football and baseball, yada yada yada. But what training goes into like lacrosse, and how do you train to be competitively good at that sport? Well, I'll just say right off the bat, one, I'm not a very athletic person. I'm like as middle of the line as it gets. So there's that, and then also lacrosse was just a sport that was like it was like still being developed, so it was considered a club, and so it's. It was just something I just decided to do. Like, wasn't good enough to play basketball. I was at like five A high school, so joined the lacrosse team. And obviously, there's if you don't know anything about lacrosse, it's basically like if I had to describe it, it would be like hockey but on grass. Um, and like and a ball soccer. instead of a puck. Yeah, yeah. it's not on the well, ground. A ball instead of a puck and a stick with a net, and but it's also played like soccer. Yeah. Um, and the positions are a lot like soccer. So you got a goalie and you've got like forwards or attack and then midfield and defense. And uh, there's a lot of running, a lot of change of possession. So you're running up and down a football length field just constantly. And uh, it's actually surprisingly physical. Yeah. So, I mean, nobody, I lived in Baton Rouge at the time. Nobody grew up playing lacrosse. Like we're in Louisiana. So yeah. like we got to high school and pretty much anyone that played was either just like really interested and like, wow, I've never heard of this. Or they were not good enough to play any of the four main sports like <laughs> at a 5A school. So there I was. And uh, so, I mean, it was just intense cardio. Yeah. And um, like learning how to use the stick and throw a ball out of the stick with a net. Yeah. And so like no one knew how to do that. All the teams in our division like were really at the same level. And then we had some other teams that we'd play that were more competitive and we just get stomped. Yeah. So like the first all of our freshman year, we just learned how to play the sport. Really, it was like ground level, and then by the time we were juniors and seniors, like we were playing really good teams and and doing okay. Yeah. And then the year after I left, we actually went to the playoffs for the first time. Like my school did, but we had never we would never make it to the playoffs. Yeah. We were like still learning. Did you, did you ever play lacrosse like post following Jesus, or did you always play lacrosse? No. Even for for baseball, like. I never really got a chance to play baseball after God actually intervened in my life. I was always like, I always joke, like my senior year of high school, like this is, I mean, I can say this in my podcast because it's my podcast. This was super douchey. My <laughs> my walk-up song in baseball my senior year was Handsome and Wealthy by Migos. Like, it's a good song. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, it's a ter but, but the meaning is terrible. And like looking back, I'm like, man, I wish I would have played some kind of like, you know, Christian rap or yeah. Lecrae or Animinio or KB or something like that. Because I, I mean, I was just such in a worldly mindset of like, I want to be good at my sport. I want people to think I'm cool. Uh, I want girls to like me, whatever, whatever that void might have been. And I was just super worldly when I was at the height. And I say the height of my sport, it was high school, which I could have gone on to keep playing. But we'll save that for another, another time. Um but so for you with with lacrosse, were you were you always kind of in an unhealthy like place when you were playing lacrosse? Spiritually? Yeah, spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. So I played only I only played lacrosse in high school and then went to LSU for two years and came to the end of myself in the middle of sophomore year, moved to 
back here to West Monroe. And it was around then that like God really started to transform my heart. I could hear him calling my name and gave my life to him and my bedroom in the middle of the night one night. And that was long after lacrosse. But I had this similar experiences. Like I just was very full of myself. And like to say that I was like, I was, I would say I'm like right in the mix um, for like talent wise in lacrosse of the yeah. team. Like I wasn't like anywhere near the best player, but I was like good enough to like be a little cocky and I was super flashy and, and just thought that I was something. Yeah. yeah. But I had like six pairs of socks on with my Newtons yeah. and like I, every color knee band down my leg. Like it was ridiculous. Were you, were you an armband guy? Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. every accessory I could put on. Like lacrosse is like the weirdest thing. It's it's very flashy. Like there's, no, like I've seen, you see I've, somebody I've seen clips on Instagram of people. <laughs> I talk like, about this a lot. So funny. Gear. Yeah, they they like there's so many like trending things. Like they'll unstrap their helmet before the game. They'll pull it so far down on their face they can't even see, but it looks cool. And everyone that plays lacrosse, it seems like has long hair, and then like there's buckets of hair. Yeah, coming out. Like you see somebody that looks like that. Usually, it's intimidation factor. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you because, like I said, you're you know you're two yeah. months post uh, post marriage, and a few months ago we had kind of joked about uh, this thing that we were talking about. But you you had joked about your honeymoon, Bob. <laughs> oh yeah. And for me, it's funny. So when me and Sadie got married, went went to Cabo on our honeymoon. Um, I think I gained ten pounds on my honeymoon. I didn't work out. I ate like eight cookies from room service every night, and yeah. I got home and I literally put on ten pounds. Yeah. Just for meeting like crap on my honeymoon. I actually think I gained 15. You gained 15. But I, I think I would have to include. You were I, on your honeymoon a little bit longer well, than we were yeah, there. Yeah, so I was going for the honeymoon vod, but whatever. Like the actual real world, like real life stresses of the wedding came along. And also like just traveling. We were doing the, uh, going to the prison right before, like two days before the wedding. And so I was just not working out. And I definitely started gaining weight around then because I started eating more, eating more probably from stress. Yeah. And then same thing, all inclusive. I was ordering stuff every night, but it was like I was working out all up until then, yeah. planning for that. And yeah. then I had been wanting to bulk, and I told you about this. I could not gain weight. Like I just, I think I have a really good metabolism. Like it's it, it's apparent that I do because I could I could eat like fifteen thousand more calories. I mean, fifteen hundred <laughs> more calories than I would normally eat. And I still wouldn't gain weight. Like somehow I'd end up burning it off. But the honeymoon, I just slapped on 15 pounds and yeah. then just recently got back do into you, the gym. Do you think you could eat 15,000 calories in a day? <laughs> no. I think I could. Yeah, I believe you could. I think I could. No. Starting from like 8 a.m. and if I ended at midnight, if I was being active doing stuff, I think I could definitely. Yeah, I just hate eating. Calories. I just can't. See, I love I you. I hate That's eating. my problem. I feel like it's a process. I, if I could hit fast forward to the end of the meal, I'm sure you do the next Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Well, what's your relationship with fitness right now? Because I know you're kind of starting to get back into it just after wedding stuff and honeymoon stuff and like like you said, traveling and all that stuff. Where are you at right now with that? Yeah. With our Mondays and Tuesdays, I get to go to the gym and I have like my time because Lydia works at night with FCA and everything. But I try to go three to four times a week. And so it usually looks like the first couple of days of the week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I can go. And then on the weekend, I'll I'll go some more and I'll try to rest like Thursday and Friday. Um, but really just working out. Yeah. I've 
I have seasons where like I will start running, but I haven't in a long time. Yeah, you you it's fun. you have seasons <laughs> where you're like all in on something. Yeah. And then in other seasons you're like, Yeah, I've been in the gym. I haven't been in the gym in like weeks. Exactly. I'm like all in or all out. Yeah. It's like no, I love it. There's no in between. Yeah. I, I'm 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 like that with certain things, like but the gym I I I I'm not like that with that. Um I try to be fairly consistent with that. Yeah, I I wish I could be. Yeah. Well, we're 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 gonna get you there. That, yeah, that, that's, that's why you're on the podcast. <laughs> Work in progress. Completely kidding. But uh, you know what I love about this podcast is that we get to talk about physical transformations, but which I do think is cool and inspiring, and you know, uh, encouraging people. But at the same time, that's not near as interesting to me or as uh, inspiring as encouraging. Uh, spiritual transformations. Yeah. And, you know, we've kind of talked about yours a little bit when you were at LSU for two years and transfer, not well, I guess sort of transferred uh, and moved 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 out. Um, but like you said, playing lacrosse throughout growing up. Um, kind of share a little bit about your testimony from going from, like you said, your school in Baton Rouge to going to LSU and kind of you know spiraling out of control when you got there. Yeah. What are some of the factors that led up, you know, throughout childhood growing up to get to get you to that point? And what do you feel like finally broke you when you said you got to the end of yourself and you knew that you needed to change your life? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up without my dad, which all you know this. Yeah. Uh, without my dad, like, in my life as much as, like, uh, like, so my parents got divorced. I don't know why that was so hard to say. So my parents got divorced, and so because of that, like, the way custody played out, my mom had us the majority of the time. So my dad wasn't in my life as much as like a normal kid would have their dad in their life. And so and it was very, like today I look back and I thank God and I see how it was all by his design. Um, but it was just, it had an effect on me that made me have to learn a lot of things the hard way. Cause I, would, I didn't always have my dad like on my case. Um, just catching me with everything I was doing. And, and my mom did a great job and she would have, she would get married whenever she got remarried whenever I was a junior in high school, but having that dynamic, um, I got into a lot of trouble and I knew how to hide it. And so, I, I mean, I dove headfirst into pornography in probably the fourth grade or fifth grade. And, yeah. um, I got caught one time and knew how to hide it after that. And I mean, I can only imagine how hard that, yeah was for my mom to try to have this conversation with me. Um, but <clears throat> so that was obviously like very unfortunate. And my mom had to put us in this Catholic school system in Baton Rouge because the school the education was way better and it was just for the right price for her trying to raise me and my brother. And so, um, that was very different than like obviously anything I'd ever experienced. I'm not Catholic. And so I got thrown into like wild groups of kids. And I mean, as early as sixth grade, like kids are talking about drinking and I just not been around any of that. And, um, and so that carried on in high school, just followed that same path, just having terrible friend groups. And like that just, I just turned into this person that wanted to people please because I just wanted to be accepted at the end of the day. I and mean, I think everybody has their share of struggling with that. It's like, we want to be accepted. We want to know that we're wanted. We want to feel loved. And um, just 
the nature of my upbringing. Like I think I didn't always get to experience that in the way that God designed. And yeah. so that I was searching for it in ways that the world could provide or the ways that I thought the world was, was offering to me. So, I mean, it was just drugs and alcohol and whatever they were doing, I was in it and I was the, I tried to be the craziest one to gain the affection of them. Yeah. yeah. And so ended up joining a fraternity at LSU. Um, and I mean, I just, it, it was as I think I, as I started developing as a person at the rate that I should have been, I was so far into drugs and alcohol that I realized how much of a mess my life was. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was numb that pain. And so I lived a completely drunk high life, like just running away from, and I remember like there were, I mean, I got kicked out of my dorm. I, I could not stay in a single living place for what felt like longer than a semester because that, Roommates didn't want to live with me because I was so crazy. I come in every night just trashed, just running away from yeah. any normal feelings, any emotions. And eventually I ended up, I was living by myself and I had this fraternity house. There were constantly, if you, I mean, you know, yeah. like there's constantly people at the fraternity house. Like there's always something. Yeah, all the time. Like if you have to study, you can get away from it. If you have to go to class, you can get away from it. There's always somebody that's not doing those things. And so- Specifically, the fraternity I joined was just a whole chaos of crazy people. Um, and so, like, the alternatives I had from doing anything I needed to do in my life were always there. And I would <clears throat> run from being alone and run from my thoughts and eventually came to my breaking point. Like, I was trying to study for my midterms in my sophomore year. And I literally could not read and remember anything I was reading because I was at that point, I was I was very far into Xanax addiction and like wasn't telling anybody and was just taking it regularly before like yeah. not even going to parties or any functions or anything, just taking it because I just had this craving for it and it was messing with my brain yeah. to the point that I was like I had a clarity, a moment of clarity, and was realizing I couldn't even pick up words on the page, and so. I believe that God called my name that night and, and brought it to my attention and said, like, enough is enough. Yeah. And brought me to the point of saying enough is yeah. enough. And That's so, so good. Yeah. Well, for you, because I know, well, what's, what's super crazy about your story and, and, and mine, they're similar in, in, in ways in, in the idea of we both have these huge marker points in our lifetime where on paper, if you were to look at it, you would think that would have been a wake up call for us, yeah. But it wasn't, you know. And 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 same for me, like this unassuming night when it, when I do feel like God had called my name. And same thing for you, studying for midterm, and you can't re you can't read the words on the page or really re remember it. You feel like God called you, and but it wasn't in the moments where we were, you know, at our lowest where we, where we feel like God called. Oh, let me, like yes, at our lowest, like internally, but not necessarily the lowest, you know, outwardly, like strung out at a party or whatever right um and we both have similar reactions because you know when when we would experience these terrible things in our life we would both kind of you know grow resentful towards that or kind of bitter towards that so why do you feel like you know even for instance like your spring break store you know uh and then getting kicked out of the dorm so why do you feel like maybe some of those 
huge turning points that maybe on paper would look like that would have been a wake up call. Right. Why do you feel like? I mean, obviously, I know God's sovereign, you know, so He chose not to, um, you know, not to call you at, at at that time. But at the same time, we do have free will to want to change, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So why do you feel like maybe some of those crazier stories it wasn't your time to be woken up to that? Yeah. So the spring break story that he's referring to is I went to jail. And uh, I, I said the spring break story because I don't know if you were one to go there or not. Uh, I'm I not was going to say jail, but I was like, yeah, I'll say spring break story and see if he goes there. I'm not ashamed there, so of I any of it, it now. Let's, let's talk about it. I don't know. That it's a story about somebody. I don't know. Well, it's funny. Uh, we, we, did a, we did a prison ministry like a few months ago, and the, the guy who was leading it was jokingly like, oh, oh has anyone ever been to prison? And for you to like slowly raise his hand. And the guy thought he was joking. He was like, no, seriously, I've been to jail. So, okay. <laughs> continue on the story I've but the yeah so i i mean like typical fraternity like trip to the beach i had way too much to drink i'm acting a fool on the street and get pull, like cop pulls over throws, which you were you were at that short stint there when everything like stuff got oh yeah, down yeah on the beach party yeah, yeah the laws had changed it was like i mean it is like okay. if, if that would have been four years prior to that or five years prior, then that would not have been a situation. Yeah. But you were right on the cusp of, you know, yeah, Panama were, City of they all. They were cracking down. Yeah, they were they were cracking down on Orange It was Beach. pretty much you, you could do to, anything and you yeah. could get arrested. You happened like, to just be, you were like a little guinea pig, so to speak. Oh, yeah. I, I t- could tell the story. <laughs> but the, so I, I get put in the cop car and I just, I really, I like have glimpses of remembering that, but. Like I woke up in jail, yeah, and and I've never been in jail before, and then and it's like seven a.m. and like the last thing I remember was like one p.m. and so I I just I woke up I'm freaking out and then they they come and knock on the door and they're like all right come on and I saw I was like all right well we're leaving well then no we got drawn out of like a thousand people like of course. And this is just like today I've, I've, I have a belief that God has humor. Yeah. Like this is just like, he was just running it down on me, but he, I got drawn 30 of us got drawn out of like a thousand. They're like, we're transporting you an hour and a half away to Baldwin County. So I'm just like, okay. So they put these ankle cuffs on me. They put me in a transport van. Like you see in a movie. I mean, it's like completely metal van. And it's horrible. Yeah, like you, were, you, you, were, it's, you were like a felon. It was the most degrading thing. And I was like, I, I mean, I was just sitting there like, I deserve so much better than this. Yeah. But in the most prideful way. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is ridiculous. Get me out of this bus. Like, I should have never been arrested in the first place. I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Like, I'm innocent. Um, and, like, to what you what you asked, there was definitely, like, a moment there on paper that, like, you'd think, oh, surely. Yeah, so surely you, that you, was your wake-up. You got booked out, and you're, like, fall on your knees. No, my mom called me in and, like, started – she started getting on to me like any mom would. And I'm like, are you serious right now? I just got out of jail. Yeah. Hung up on her. And like, it was just, I mean, I, I hate that thought, that memory, but I was so stuck in my ways. Even in that moment, you would think that I would have a, like come to Jesus. Yeah. That I did not. Yeah. Well, what's so cool about your story is, you know, when you finally did come to Jesus, 
um, you really started leading worship. And I don't really know, you know, much, much of the timeline with all that, but I know that Sadie, because you grew up with Sadie and John Luke and all them, and no one ever knew that you could sing. No one ever knew that you had a good voice. When did you discover that for yourself? And how did you, you know, how did you start worshiping after God called you out of all that? When, like, when was, the, when was your first time leading worship? When did you really know that you could sing? Or because because most most people that are, good, that are good at singing don't really know that they're good at singing, you know, early on kind of stuff. So what, yeah, I definitely what, didn't. Yeah, what was your story with that? I did not know, and I always loved music. My family has like a ton of musical background. Like my grandmother was an amazing piano teacher. My grandfather was a band director and this is all on my mom's side my mom is really good at piano majored in music she does not work in music but she majored in music like super knowledgeable and so i grew up just having my face shoved in it but i never really liked it whenever i came to west monroe and started getting my life straight um i had a couple people come along and mentor me one of those people was ryan lee who was the worship leader at WFR Church. Yeah. And he just really poured into my life and knew my mom really well and knew that I love music. So it really got me into it. And then I also had like, it's like, it was the craziest season of my life because all of a sudden I had like six college pastors pretty much because like three different couples were all helping out with the college ministry right whenever I came back. And so I had some of the best like wise counsel ever. And that summer at camp, I was just working as a counselor and I wasn't even full-time yet. But uh, I got with uh, Sadie's cousin, Allie, and was like, let's just, let's do an act for the skit night. Let's sing Tennessee Whiskey by Chris Stapleton, but let's change the lyrics and make it kid-friendly. And it was just just a big joke. Like, it was like more like a clever, like play on the song, like, yeah, like we changed it to like Tennessee Pepsi and dumbed it down. And but one of those, one of those um, mentors that I had in the college ministry came up to me after, along with other people, and just began to tell me how well I could sing. And I just didn't really take them seriously. Yeah. But but <laughs> this person, Melissa Atkins, in specific, like sat me down and was like, "No, you seriously need to." And I'll never forget that moment. I tell that story all the time because I really did not know I could sing. And she she saw this calling on me as Ryan was already trying to get me. I was already starting to like learn how to play guitar. I played guitar in that little skit. And yeah. Um that was definitely a God ordained moment for sure. So you're coming coming out of that and like starting to lead worship. Did you ever have reserves of like feeling feeling unqualified to do that. Yeah. Cuz I remember for me when I first started you know really following Jesus and then early on I got plugged into Bible study and then here I am at Bible study then I start leading a Bible study. Um I don't really know why I got assigned to do that. Um but yeah, I would stumble with things that God has saved me from and I'm like, man, like you know, it's it's just one of those early early mindsets of like I thought God saved me from that. Yes, he did, but I'm still struggling with it. You know, I'm still stumbling in it. And I felt unqualified to get up and like, you know, teach or like lead a group of of guys that are going through the same thing as me. So, I mean, I felt unqualified early on of like, you know, kind of feeling hypocritical in the sense of, you know, 
feeling like I'm better than, but but I know I'm not kind of thing. Yeah. So how do you feel like, you know, when you started leading worship, you kind of dealt with those feelings of uh, feeling maybe unqualified? Yeah, I definitely had to keep some mentor type relationships present in my life. Um, just like the Bible says, the seek wise counsel. And there's a lot of stuff that I encountered. Like it's usually just like a scheme of the devil. Like when you're put in a position of authority for the kingdom of God, like he's going to bring up anything he can to try to shut you down Yeah, and, and just shut that whole operation down. And so, um, and usually I've found it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be something that he tries to make you feel unqualified. And so like I had all kinds of past sins that I was like, Oh, I really can't do this. Like I had, I had some real moments where, I had to, and the men's retreat at our church was like one of the places that I found this freedom from some like, yeah. some sins like that I did years ago. Yeah. But just because of like, as naturally as it is, like we we learn how messed up we are. Yeah. And the, it's it's a perfect opportunity for the devil to just take that understanding as we like grow into that, and we realize the cost that Jesus paid when He died for our sins that truly washed us clean of those things. We start to understand the gravity of how messed up we are and the devil can easily just spin that around. Mm-hmm. And so I think that obviously like staying in the word was crucial for me as I was learning how to use the word as my sword to fight off the enemy in that realm. And um, I would say the most crucial thing that I had was mentors and like loving relationships around me with people further in their faith walking alongside me and and making them aware of like what's going on and like one thing that happened along the way was one of the uh passion conferences i went to that matt chandler spoke at he spoke about the woman at the well and his main point was that to be 99 percent known is to be unknown yeah so if you have one percent you're holding on to you're not known. And so there's always, it doesn't matter who you are, like there's something with that that's very unnerving. Like, because mm-hmm. I feel like we're, we all make mistakes. And so there's always that 1% that you're scared of telling and for everyone it's different. But if you can push through that fear, which I had to do and tell somebody, mm-hmm. and then they just look at me in love and they just like almost laugh. They're like, that's what you're whole that's what's holding you back. Yeah. And so I would just say for anyone that's going through that fear of like sharing the thing that you think is going to make you completely outcast from the world. It's the most life giving thing on the other side of that. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And so good. All right. So not only do you lead worship, you also like to write worship songs. Yes. Um, you know, we talk, we talk a lot. Didn't know I could do that either. Yeah. Kind of got thrown into it. (laughs) But not not only do you do that, but you're, but you know, you, you don't just do it, but you're super good at it. Where do you pull inspiration from, you know, when you write and how much of, how, how how much do you draw from things that you've gone through in your past that help kind of cultivate and create lyrics that you're writing on a page? Um, so, I don't know how to tell you more directly. Sometimes, most of the time, when I'm writing, I feel like God is like controlling my hand because yeah. I didn't. I like I said, I didn't. I didn't really 
ever write music before like just Gen- getting involved Tennessee with Pepsi was your first kind of yeah yeah it's just was your first lyric some lyrics yeah. um but obviously I go to the Bible the most because it's just like it's just like it just seems so obvious to me like why wouldn't we go there um but it's I mean there's a lot of human experience that can go into songwriting and right when I started I definitely like went to that more and yeah. I was I, and I like music's always had like this huge effect on my emotions and it had this like like you know when you hear a song I feel like a lot of people experience this not just me when you hear a song it'll take you back to the very moment like oh yeah and so like the effect that music had on me in my, in my life was just like crazy and it, it's always I always noticed it and so whenever I started writing I started going to like these really dark places and like trying to write a song about it from this really dark place which isn't bad but most of the time I would write a song and I would like in the moment I would just it would be like I'm getting this out like this is good and then at the the final product I was like this is the saddest song I've ever written yeah so it's hard to but it but and also you're thinking about yourself and not really necessarily going right to, to to an extent you know yeah you're more so focused on well, there, I'm not really thinking about like I am thinking about God, and it's like a lot of times there's like this dialogue between me and Him from this place that I was remembering that I was in, and I was thinking maybe if I write from this perspective, there's somebody in this place, yeah, that's gonna really resonate with this. But there's there's there needs to be more of a congregational approach to that, and like a positive like God perspective of that, yeah. So like because we're talking about worship music and primarily what we write for with LO is for the church, um, which I love. And so it's been a learning process. I'd say I'm still learning, but I love it. And God amazes me at what he drops on my heart. Yeah. Just by being in his word and like looking for what he wants me to write next. And honestly, like praying through that, like I, like I pray all the time like God, give me these lyrics, and make it so obvious that like this is not even from me. Yeah. That you're just using me. Yeah. To write this music. So good. Well, you've written. I mean, if you, what uh, what all songs did you write on on the last Elo album? I wrote. Well, you sing "Steady Light." But, I wrote on "Steady Light." Yeah. And I wrote on. Uh no, I did not write on. I did not write on Jesus overall, and I did not write on Open. Yeah, and then I wrote on "Steady Light," "Promise to the End," and he's not. He's done. not done. Yeah, yeah. Which all Steady three of those? No, no, no. "Steady Light" and he's not done. Just got written when we went to record Jesus Overall. Yeah, which was the whole thing that started this. We yeah. were just going to record Jesus Overall, which Kaylee and some other people had written way before, and then we wrote like five songs when we were there. Yeah, and then wrote yeah. "Promise to the End" later. Me and Sadie wrote "Promise to the End" later. You were there for that. I was so, there for that. I, di- I didn't get I didn't get writing credit for it, but <laughs> but I was. I was but honey in, did. I was in the house. Yeah, hun- yeah. Honey, I have a voice memo. To honey's this on the credits for it of "Promise to the End" and writing it, and Honey's just da da and all through the living room. Yeah, see that uh, we did not use that in the final edit. Yeah. Um, and I, I want I want to kind of end with this. So you know, we've we've talked about you and Lydia. Like I said, y'all been married for. Uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be about four months. Um. And, you know, when y'all first started, I say when y'all first started liking each other, but you liked her a, a lot 
uh, pre- prior to her liking you. Um, <laughs> but I want to kind of talk about your pursuit and your, uh, you know, consistency and just your persistence to to really see that through. Yeah. Because y'all were friends, which I think a lot of times, you know, relationships, you know, but it, especially when you start dating someone or a spouse, you kind of start as friendships and y'all were like best friends. And then you kind of wanted to move out of the friend zone to start dating her because you really liked her. And she did not necessarily reciprocate that early. Uh, how did you, you know, because then I'm, I'm kind of skipping ahead of myself. Cause then when she started to like you, you kind of put on pause cause you had camp, yeah. which is super mature. So how do you feel like, you know, when you first started to like her and even fall in love with her, which I'll let you kind of maybe tap on that briefly for a second. Uh, how did you, you know, when you maybe got shut down, I guess you could say, how did you keep pursuing that and kind of stay persistent with that, knowing that uh, she was not feeling the same way early on? Right. It's tough. Anybody that's in the friend zone right now, there's hope. Yeah. I'm but, sure there's a lot of people listening that are in the friend zone that are like, hey, I love my best friend. But. Hey, it might be a good thing that you're in the friend yeah. zone. And like that, that was my case. So like when we started as friends we got to, we met each other and we started hanging out. It was like really quickly, like we became close. So we were like best friends almost instantly. And we were both in this really rough place. And that was at the same time that I was in the dark, depressing place that I talked about earlier. And so it was just, we were just together every day. Like our friend groups were, cause my friend, one of my best friends was dating one of her best friends. And so um, as I started to have feelings for her, I, I knew for myself that like one, she's way out of my league Yeah. Two, I wouldn't know if she's interested. It's not being reciprocated in the way that I wanted to be like, we're friends and she thinks I'm funny. I think she's funny. Like we laugh at each other's jokes, but it's like, it's not, there's nothing obvious. Nothing and, romantic about yeah. it. Yeah. And like, I'm also going through like the fact that the place that I'm in, the place that she's in, it's not. I know it's not what's best for me. And in fact, like my friends are telling, some of my friends are telling me, yeah. I don't know about this. So I'm like walking through that and kind of like, oh, is it a bad idea? But I w- decided one day I couldn't take anymore. Like she either, like she had to know and we we're just going to continue being friends. Or if she liked me, she would tell me and then we'd become more. So I just left work. I hope. Kim Chiuk is a man of age, <laughs> but the, I left work. I, it was driving me insane. And um, I just drove to Russ into her house and I just walked in. It's like three o'clock. She's in the middle of a class online. And I just walked in and told her how I felt. And I was like, you just have to know this. And she says, I said, I felt like that I'm in love with her. I don't think I said it that bluntly, but I may have. I've heard, I've heard, I've, I've heard you said it like that, but but maybe not. I uh, so I said it, and then like I mean, she just did it. She just laughed. Like she was just like, okay, and she's just thrown completely off, doesn't know what to say. And I was like, you don't have to answer. We both just kind of laughed, and I was like, just let me know, think about it. We'll talk later. Yeah, and I left. I just went back to work. So that was like a really weird way to drop that on her. But over the next few days, like it was like no, but I don't know, and then it was just no. Yeah, and. Like looking back, that was God protecting us. And that's why I say like, maybe you're supposed to be in the friend zone because that was the case for us at the time. Like it was not, and I'm glad that I was protected from that because I don't believe that us being 
thrown into a relationship more than friends right off the bat. Like it would have ended in sexual assuming we talk about it today. Yeah. Just because of the place we were in, we weren't in our strongest, like where yeah. we needed to be. And so like God began preparing her as evident. It was like, I mean, she'll say it now. Like it was like three or four weeks later that she was immediately like, I made a mistake. Um, and thank goodness our college pastors at the time, like I was talking to him and she's talking to her and they're like, they were just like, you need to just go read some books. Like when you think about it, I think that's literally what they said when you think about him. So yeah, she didn't come back around to talk to me about it until like that was in January. I told her in December that was around January when she started thinking. And then she told me in like April and she was about to work at camp, which I'm on staff at camp. So I was like, this isn't appropriate. So yeah, we'll just go through the summer together. We'll be together every day. It'll be like we are, but that's a really unhealthy place to just start a relationship yeah, anyway. Sure. Um, at a place where you're not allowed to have right. a relationship. And like, I'm running the worship program. And you're going to be seen. Like, it's just going to be weird. Yeah. Let's just, no one knows yeah. that we talked about this. Yeah. S like, see you in August. There you go. Thing. Yeah, see you in August. And then she said, yeah. And here you are. Now, now, now y'all are married. Yeah. There you go. Well, Reese, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for today, man. Me. I love you. Yeah. Thanks for being so, uh, you know, open and transparent. I really think that's going to help a lot of people. Um, you know, wherever you're at, you know, God can call you um, out of wherever for us. We had huge moments where on paper, like like we talked about it, it we would have thought that's where God called us out of that. Um, and he ultimately did. It just wasn't at the timing where maybe looking back, we thought it it should have happened even, or we, maybe where we thought it would have happened, but it didn't happen then. And um, we're just here now, just trying to do our best and love God and serve people and uh, just be good husbands. So hope you enjoy this episode. Send it to your friends, your family. Uh, you know, reshare it, whatever, like, subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. Only if it's going to be five-star, though, please don't leave anything less than that. That would not be appreciated. Uh, but we love you guys and hope you all enjoyed it and hope you're really uh, resonating with and enjoying uh, just conversations with friends because I think that's super beneficial, super impactful. And uh, like I said, everything we talk about in the podcast today is stuff we talk about every day of our life it's nothing like uh you know nothing we've shared blindsided me or caught me off guard because it's just stuff we talk about um we're just two good friends who don't hide anything from each other and we uh confess stuff when we mess up and we uh look to each other to uh build us up so hope you enjoyed it uh like i said i'm kind of rambling now so we uh we'll see y'all next week <laughs>